Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 18th edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by the man who actually does have to quickly say something, Jaden. Uh, good day. That's all you have to say for the next two minutes. It's fine. And I'm joined by... Uh... Liam. Liam. Now, I did hesitate there because my my father listened to an episode of this show, an older episode, this week. And he he said to me, yo, like when you say, when you're talking to Fitzy in the episode, you, you're talking to Liam, right? That's who you're talking to? And I'm like, yes, yes. And, I, and he was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool, cool. I wasn't 100% certain of that. And then that made me realize how much of a dumbass I am for <laughs> introducing you as your name and then proceeding to you to, <laughs> to call you another name, you know what I mean, for the entirety of the rest of the episode. All right. So, wait, does J- I don't notice. Does Jaden call you Fitzy on this on this show? I think, I, I think so. Yeah. Well, okay. Anyway, I'm joined by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, someone fanboy, aka Fitzy, aka Liam. There you go. Hello. <laughs> well, uh, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single week. The show posts every Monday on uh, on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. At 8 p.m. Australian time, but post Monday everywhere in the world. So uh, please subscribe on all those things. Leave us a rating, follow us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Remember to submit your questions, thoughts, reviews for next week's film. Read them at the end of the show every single week. But we've got a specific question prompt as always. And this week we're going to be asking y'all to leave your answer to this in the comments. And that is, what's your favorite sports movie of all time? Sports movies, I feel like it's a pretty, you know, specific genre of films we like sports some of us maybe i don't know we like movies so what's your favorite sports movie let us know we'll read them at the end of next week's show uh this week we're reviewing the five bloods which is a brand new 2020 film the streak continues for us doing 2020 films in a uh year that doing 2020 films is kind of semi-problematic but we're nailing it if i do say so myself um so yeah, I'll get into the data dump. Hopefully it won't take too long. The film opened, well, it didn't open. It debuted on Netflix because this is indeed the first Spike Lee collaboration with Netflix. Um, on the 12th of June this year, 2020, the film was directed by Spike Lee. It was written by Danny Bilson, Paul DeMeo, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee. Uh, there's a bit of trivia about how the film was written and how the screenplay kind of evolved over time, which I'll get into later. but. A lot of names there. The film stars uh, Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, and I mean, it was kind of hard to choose here, but I feel like Chadwick Boseman, he's kind of a pivotal role in the movie, even even, uh, if it is kind of a supporting role. So I say his name there. Hmm. Uh, We've got no information on the film's budget. Yay, Netflix. Um, And thus, uh, it made, you know, no box office money. So Uh, the genre is a war drama. The film has a runtime of 2 hours and 34 minutes. And the synopsis is, Four African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Cool beans. Uh, how do we feel about The Five Bloods? Um, I didn't know anything about the movie at all before watching it. Oh, except I, probably, I think I knew it was about Vietnam vets, I think. But, um, Fitzy, how'd you like it and... Uh, yeah. How'd you like it? <laughs> I'm very 
I think it was a very mixed bag, I guess. Um, the I think my main problem with it is that it's messy in more ways than one, and um, some of that can be attributed to like a like intention uh, with you know these characters going through like this kind of PTSD, but I don't know. It's a bit. It's a bit messy, but it still has kind of a lot of emotion and truth in it. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot I disliked and a lot I liked about it, I guess. What about you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, I'll go second. Wow, I don't think I've ever gone second. That's crazy. Um, I, I thought the movie was kind of... I thought it was fine. I thought it was okay. Um, I, I've got issues with it. Um, I thought it was kind of boring a lot of the time. Um but overall, I, I definitely appreciate elements of it. Um, Spike Lee's very distinct uh, visual and editing style is very present, and I appreciate that always. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't think it did a lot for me. I think it's kind of a forgettable affair, and um, I don't really see myself, you know, looking back on it uh, too far into the future. But uh, how about you, Jane? Yeah, I'm feeling kind of conflicted about it because I. I'm definitely like on the on the higher end at the moment, just thinking about it like in a you know in, in a film sense of you know did I enjoy it? Did, was the acting good? Was the editing well? You know, was it well shot, directed, written, whatever? But there's some concepts in there that I really don't enjoy, and and I'm just I'm waiting up at the moment. How much does that affect my enjoyment of the film? Right, right, okay. And do you mean that in regards to? Um... Mm. I mean, you, you, be, be very specific with what you mean, but is it stuff that you just disagree with? Is it stuff that you feel is kind of fundamentally misunderstanding events or anything, anything of uh, that nature? Well, I think my biggest problem for the film is, like, I mean, they don't do enough to condemn the war. I mean, they call it the American War, which is fair enough, but they do little else than that. And in a film that's meant to be criticising the Vietnam War, they still choose to vilify the Vietnamese people. And I think that's just a massive mistake and a really stupid decision. And it's just stuff like that. And like it's, it's things throughout like that that kind of make me, you know, a bit... Uh... Right. Okay, okay. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I feel like... I feel like the movie is very much rooted in uh, the perspective of its, of its characters. Um, and I don't know, I feel like it kind of... And you kind of railed off a great summary of the war that I had no idea about prior to this, but so, I mean, you probably have a much more comprehensive understanding of this than me, but I don't know, I feel like the movie chose a perspective, it stuck to it, and I don't know if that's necessarily a problem for me, but um, but you're not wrong, though. You're not wrong. They do definitely kind of, yeah, they do, the Vietnamese do feel vilified to some level, you know. So, yeah, okay, I don't know, where, where, where do I take this? Where do you think... What do you think could have been kind of handled better, in your opinion, Jane, in this movie? Look, because knowing this was a film about Vietnam, I was expecting a whole lot more stuff about that and a criticism of that. But I should have known that because this being this being a Spike Lee film, I should have known it should have it would it would be leaning more towards, um, you know, like the the Black Lives Matter and the and the racism stuff, and like that's fine and all. But it's just I wasn't expecting so much of it in a Vietnam film. So I think that's kind of why right I don't. You know, that's why I wanted more criticism of the war rather than, you know, that. But, it, you know, it makes sense that 
you know, it, it, it is involved, but, you know. Yeah, so, so in that way, do you find it kind of strange that the film revolves around the Vietnam War, but not really? It doesn't really take strong enough of a stance on the war itself, but kind of uses the war to explore other issues? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. No, I get that. I get that for sure. Um, I mean, Spike Lee, you know, never afraid to just uh, include a ton of political and social shit in his movies, and I, t- I totally respect it. You know, it's definitely a style of filmmaking, and, you know, it's 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 ballsy. I appreciate it, but it never wor- It doesn't always work for me entirely. Um, you know, th- this film has a uh, an opening montage, and... I don't remember, the only other Spike Lee movie I've seen is Black Klansman, and I don't remember how often that, yeah, of course, there's, the, you have, yeah, yeah, there's the um the montage at the end, but you know how in this movie there's just throughout at any time, there, you know, there's just random clips and, and images thrown on the screen? That was kind of a, a jarring thing for me. I don't dislike it, but it's like, wow, this is very different, you know, I don't really see this often at all in films, you know, just just throwing genuine events in my face like this. And, um, you know, I, I think it's relatively effective, especially when one of the few times kind of, I guess, in contrast to what you're saying, Jan, one of the few times they do actually kind of humanise the Vietnamese and um, point out the atrocities committed by the Americans and they kind of throw up those images of the babies out of nowhere. I was like, holy shit, dude, that was effective right there. And uh, I thought that was really good use of it. But, um, but yeah, that is, uh, is that might be the only time Maybe, I don't know if you guys have got another one where they kind of paint the Vietnamese in that way. I don't think there is another one. Yeah, I don't think they're portrayed in a negative light for a lot of the film. I think towards the end, you know, when they have that little group, you know, that's where it's really negative. But it's just that they really kind of, you know, they don't do too much with them to say good or bad for the majority of the film. I mean, like, you know, with like Vin or with, you know, some of the other characters, just like that they mildly bring up every now and then. They're just kind of there. But then, you know, it's... And, like, that'd be fine, but it's it's because at the end they take such a flip. That's why I didn't enjoy that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, sticking with what I brought up, I guess, how, how do you guys kind of react to the, um, the, the uh, frequent just throwing out there of real life footage and, and those kind of montages and that kind of style of uh, of filmmaking. I don't know. Cause oh, I definitely think it's really unique, but is, are you guys a fan of it? I don't know. I think, um, I think it was jarring at points. Um, and one of my, one of my kind of biggest problems with the movie is that, well, Spike Lee said that he wanted to, I watched a thing about like Spike Lee talking about his, intentions for the movie and stuff and he talked about how he wanted to make an epic movie but he was also using you know tools from his um documentary style he also made like documentaries and like yeah one of the things that i have a problem with this movie is that the the documentary and epic feel of it like kind of just collide and they don't go together well just feels kind of weird and um kind of messy in that way i guess yeah i think yeah i agree with that too and especially like with i think with some of the stuff that they throw up they they kind of blend it smoothly and it's okay but 
quite often it just feels like they go too much into like what you said about the documentary making and it feels just like you know they're giving us a history lesson it feels like they just pause the movie and you know like that like that dialogue between like Chadwick Boseman and like you know the other four where he's telling you about the first black man that died you know for the cause or whatever it was and like you know if it, 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 it just doesn't feel like it fit in the movie well it feels like it was just so forced in there for him to just pause and then give them a little history lesson you know mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, it's it's inconsistent, I think, overall, um, as to how much it works and how much it doesn't. Yeah. But yeah, but but I but I like that it does it. If that makes sense, you know, it's different enough, and I'm like, right. okay, this is cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you're gonna. Oh, I was just saying. Yeah, it's like a definitely a bold choice, I guess. Yeah. Pays off sometimes, but other times it's just, uh, you know, jarring, I guess. Uh, well, I was going to say, like, the, the opening montage is fair enough because it brings us up to speed with, you know, events in a brief way and it covers you, it, you know, it hits the important beats and it shows you what you need to know to understand what's going on in the movie. And, like, that's all fine. And then it's it's just after that when yeah. they start throwing it up, you know, like the like the the video from Trump's rally where is it, you know, the Blacks for Trump thing, you know, like, like that. Yeah, that was like, weird. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, that, that, that like, it's, it's, it's moments like that where it feels awkward that it transitions into it. Definitely. I 100% agree the opening montage is good. Um, yeah, it set the scene well. But, um, yeah, throughout it's kind of weird. And the ending was weird for me where they they end on kind of another sort of mini montage and then I was like, okay, fine. And then we get the Martin Luther King speech and I'm like, okay, this is cool, I guess. And then it, it's very specific, but then we get, like, the title card of, like, what happened to Martin Luther King, like he was assassinated. And that, for me that was, like, okay. Like, this was a very strange choice for me to end this movie, where we kind of went on this journey with these characters, um, and we end on, like, a, a screen, like you'd kind of expect in a biopic of Martin, what happened to Martin Luther King, you know? I don't know, did you guys feel that at all? It was kind of a strange, um, specific choice to kind of leave the audience on, you know? Um, I don't really care about that, to be honest, um... Okay. I also I really liked the ending montage. I thought it was pretty emotionally effective. Um, oh, okay. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> um. But speaking of visual style shit, how do we feel about the uh the Vietnam flashbacks, the changing of the aspect ratio, the uh the color grading, um, and all that good shit? Oh yeah. That happened a few times. That was that was pretty well done, I guess. <laughs> I feel like they didn't go into um, the character of Norm as much as I would have liked. Like we didn't, it, it felt like like from the poster and stuff like that, he was the kind of central idea behind this movie and like what he represents and stuff. And it goes into that a bit, but I feel like he's not a very explored character. And also I, with the, the, dynamic i like just with the five men um hold on um delroy linda he he adds so much to the to the group in terms of like what their dynamic is and i feel like some of them they're they're okay characters but they don't they don't uh add as much in comparison i guess are you talking about paul so yeah yeah Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. I'm with you, hundred percent. Yeah, the other characters, um, yeah, they're kind of whatever to me. 
Um, Paul's definitely the most interesting character. Um, yeah, but it, it, the movie it does a weird thing where I Paul feels like the protagonist, sort of, because he's by far the most interesting. He actually kind of has a growth in the movie, whereas the other characters just kind of have their personal situations that are revealed to us. His, his journey in his arc is like a, you know, it's like a sign graph. It just goes up and down, you know, where you look at him more favorably as he gets close to his son, but then he just dips straight back down when he betrays him all. And then, you know, he slowly comes to terms yeah. with what he's done and he comes back up and then he goes down again. I mean, you know, I don't, you know, that's, I think it was interesting, but, you yeah, know. I think he goes down again at the end? Not in, not at the end, but I think, it ha- like, you know, throughout the course of the film, like between events, it goes up and down a lot, you know. It does. And he, it he, does. It, and that it, shit was... It felt weird because yeah. you never really know how to feel about him. Yeah, <laughs> that is a criticism I have of the movie where um, I, I think his character is is simultaneously the most interesting and also the most annoying. And not even in terms of like, I'm, I feel... I guess on some level you're meant to be kind of curious as to what the hell he's going through and what the hell he's thinking. But I don't know. I was just kind of... I found it really jarring, his character switches. They kind of came out of nowhere for me where literally one of the main turning points in the film is when um, they kind of run into the landmines after finding the gold and uh, what's his face? Eddie gets blown up and then his, uh, Paul's son David is like standing on the landmine and they have to rescue him and they do this thing to rescue him or whatever and then Paul embraces him and I was like, oh, wow, that was like really emotional. Paul was really emotionally charged right there to save his son and you know he's clearly very passionate about it. But then literally two minutes later, He's like, if you don't do this, I'm going to disown you. I was like, what? That that was strange for me. That felt like a very abrupt turn. I feel like the intention there was behind that, the switches in that character was to try and show the uh, like the chaos that the war has like given him, like his inner, you know, his inner self, right. I guess. Um, but um. I think just like the montages, it was effective at times, and then at times it was um, strange. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, did that? That may very well be the intent. It definitely, it, it didn't do it for me at all. I didn't really feel immersed in his inner conflict at that point. I was just kind of because the situation was just kind of strange. They had the gold, and then they have to deal with these new French dudes who showed up, and like you know, they have to make a decision. But it never really felt tense at any point. And then, yeah, he has this turn. I don't know. It didn't work for me, did it? Were you guys okay with it? I mean, I'm not saying with Fitzy where it works sometimes and sometimes it didn't. Like, it just stopped making sense at points. And I think the biggest is, like, is that mind scene that you mentioned where it's just, like, you know, 180 turns, you know, like, immediately, like, uh, like that, you know. Yes, yeah. But, go- sorry, going back to Norm a little bit because we see him primarily through the lens of these very visually distinct 60s flashbacks um, of the Vietnam War, where we get, yeah, the aspect ratio change. And, and I mean, I always appreciate that kind of shit. It's cool. I like when we get that kind of, um, you know, different color grading and stuff. It's kind of visually pleasing. You'll love Grand Budapest um, Hotel, then. Like five ooh, different no, aspect no. ratios. <laughs> I love, um, what's that Transformers movie that changes aspect ratio every, like, literally every cut? Oh, it's prob- One of them does that. Probably swear. If it's something so weird. Funny. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting off track. Yeah, so weird. Anyway, um, but 
we get kind of a look into Chadwick Boseman's character, Norm, who's so influential on the other characters um, in the past through these scenes. And I'm with you, Fitzy, where he he is the central kind of, I guess, anchor of the film in some way, but he never feels like he is. He's just kind of there and he kind of, he's kind of, you know, inspirational to them, I guess. Cool. He makes some cool speeches. He's driven. I get that. But like, I don't know. I never really cared about Norm, you know, and I felt like I should have. I feel like it was part, like, I, I didn't really care too much about him either. And I feel like it was part due to the acting. Because were, were you just not, I, I, like, I mean, like, you know, full respect to Chadwick Brosman, you know, he's, he's a pretty decent actor, but like, I just feel like this performance wasn't it for him, you know? I mean, like, it just, yeah. it, just didn't, it just didn't mesh with me. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I didn't dislike the performance, but yeah, it no. didn't, yeah. It didn't, I didn't really particularly, you know, get a lot from it either. It was kind of, it was fine. That probably is a pretty significant reason as to why Norm didn't click with us. But another, Norm's just kind of a one note character. Like, I get that he's just meant to be this driving force and that's fine. But like, I don't know. He feels pretty one dimensional to me. Do you, is that kind of an issue you had too, Fitzy? Yeah, I just wish he was more explored, I guess. Um. I don't know what form that would take, I guess, but um, yeah, it just didn't feel like he was a character in this film. I, I like how you know important he is for Paul. I, I my favorite part of the movie by far is the reveal that Paul had killed um, Norm accidentally, and then how Norm kind of, I guess, you know, the, the memory of him or whatever kind of forgives him for it. I thought that was by far the best shit in the movie, and so in that sense. The character uh, was played a significant enough role in achieving that. Where I was like, okay, cool, that that's fine to me. That made it worth it to me. But yeah, I think other this, than the that, psychology though, behind that's really interesting. Or like, you know, whenever they do that in a film where you know it's revealed like it's an accident, then they you know the ghost forgives them, whatever. Because like, what's really forgiving them is you know their own mind. So they have that notion locked down deep in themselves that you know it was an accident. It was okay. But they just bury it so much, and it's only after you know he goes through this intense emotional journey of going back to you know where it happened and trekking through the jungle that he comes to realize these things on his own. And you know, I think it's 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 interesting how the mind does that. And I mean, you know, I wonder if that's like, I mean, Fitzy, I think you're into it a bit more than me. Is that something that actually like does happen where people can suppress that and then like you know they find it on their own? Um, I really don't know, but um, I think. I think the movie does a good job of uh, expressing that, I guess, like you said. Yeah. Um, very well could be a psychological thing. I think you're right. I, I think that's really interesting, and that's why it's my favourite part of the movie. It's just it's just a shame for me where, you know, in, you know, in terms of laying out his arc overall, you know, he, he, he was, I guess, he went on this kind of emotional journey through the jungle and, you know, that is kind of what led to that moment. But just watching it play out, watching this, you know, quote-unquote emotional journey of his and, you know, uh, the things he went through, none of it just ever – it never felt like that big of a deal to me. Uh, Like we have the jarring character turn was very disruptive to it. Um, And really like, okay, he saves his son. That was cool. We get the weird character turn. And then the only thing else that really happens to them is that they get in a kind of a shootout 
with these Vietnamese people, which I mean, you know, no one wants to be in a shootout, obviously, but I don't, it didn't really feel that grandiose. It didn't really feel like, holy shit, dude, Paul's been through some crazy shit. It just kind of felt like, okay, like you trekked through the woods for a little bit and then had to shoot like three Vietnamese people. I don't know. Am I making sense? I just feel like it didn't, it didn't land because none of it felt, you know, that crazy of a circumstance for the character to kind of go through, especially when he is a war vet, you know? I did enjoy the movie kind of as a bit of a learning experience for me as well. And I guess in that way, uh, Spike's kind of focus on the black perspective of the war was effective because, you know, just really, not really speaking to the technical side of the film, but just literally what's being said, the dialogue and um, what's being delivered to the audience, like some statistics. Like I wrote down here the fact that um, 11% of the US population was black at the time and 32% of US troops in Vietnam were black. I was like, oh, wow. You know, there, there were a few moments like that in the movie for me that were just just reeling off shit like that where I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that, you know. And I guess in that way, like, I appreciate the movie for kind of providing me with a bit of education, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's cool as well, but it, it goes back to that thing I said before where, like, sometimes they don't do it well enough and it just feels like they're just, you know, a teacher at the front of the classroom telling the students what they need to know, you know. I, th- I think one. I think that's just that that statistic occasion is another time where it just feels like they put it on pause. You know, they stand up and go, "Oh, by the way, you need to know this audience," and they go back to the movie. Definitely, yeah. definitely, yeah. Like it's good right. to know that that side of it integrated well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. That side of the movie it doesn't service the film, but I just liked it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. Because I just like appreciated the education in no matter what form it took. I um. I really liked the soundtrack, but I didn't like the uh, the score. The no, I didn't like the score. I thought I thought the I didn't notice much of the score, but I think when Paul died, I thought the score was pretty good. Oh, I hate the scene where he dies because I think it's stupid, but like the score in that moment is, you know, really good. I think. Okay, okay. I didn't notice much of the score at all, at all. And what the bits I did, I was like, this is kind of generic. But um. But it, why didn't you like Paul's death scene, though? Because uh, Jen? that in, in in that moment is one of the worst betrayals of the Vietnamese in the film, where it's not you know just a bullet to the head and it's done. It's a uh, three guys unloading you know a full mag each right. on you know the the American character and like it's just such a horrible betrayal of the Vietnamese people. Interesting. I kind of I didn't love the scene either for a different reason. I didn't even I didn't even consider that personally i was just kind of the death felt in the context of the film like getting completely wrecked like that is obviously quite a distinct visual quite impactful i think you know seeing seeing a character that you follow throughout the entire movie's corpse like that it was pretty decimated um but i just didn't really feel like the movie earned it you know at the end i was like oh great he found you know forgiveness in himself that's cool then just kind of got wrecked. I was like, okay. I just didn't care enough about the character, really. I didn't care enough about any of the characters, which we touched on earlier. But right. Was there a, a character that you did like, Fitzy, or that, you know, you did feel was kind of explored better than I'm giving it credit for? Well, I did I did like Paul as a character. Um, he was interesting. Um, oh, I liked David as well, I think. Um, I thought they had kind of an interesting dynamic, but... Yeah, the other characters, they just didn't add as much. And, like, um, um, for example, that Eddie, I think it was, um, you know, 
I didn't get what the, what the point was behind the whole, like, he's broke now kind of thing. That was weird. That was weird. You know? And especially um, Melvin, he didn't really add much. No. So. Which one was Melvin? Was that the guy in the red shirt? He's the one that drove on the grenade. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I knew that was going to happen as soon as yeah. they mentioned at the start of the movie. I mean, like, that's just so obvious. As soon as he's like, I'm not diving. What did they say at the start of the movie? He's like, I'm not going to dive on a grenade for you guys. And then, you know, at the end of the film, he's like, he actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like it's such I didn't even notice that. Shit. I mean, like, honestly. That's so funny. Oh my god. Wow. But, like, that's another example where he dove in the grenade. I felt nothing, dude. I felt nothing. I'm sorry. You know, man, I'm not from cold hearted, but I just did not care. And I felt like I should have, you know. I spent bloody two and a half hours with these people. Yeah, I think yeah. that's. Kind of I can't remember and... the, uh, the Vin Netflix series spinoff. Of course, of course. <laughs> you mean, he's, he's, no shit. He's just doing. Vin was probably my favorite character. Yeah, I, I think it was the most balanced character in the film. You know, definitely. Kind of a voice of reason tells him not to go alone. You know. Mm. I was like, yeah, man, I listen to Vin. Oh yeah, I think Dave is my favorite character, but I think Vin's like a close second. Yeah. David's okay. I didn't dislike him. Yeah. I, know. I think his journey is pretty interesting as well, just in terms of his relationship with his father and, you know. That's true. Because I kind of feel like, I'm not sure if it was just me looking at it like that, but it, it feels like Dave is meant to kind of be like a new norm, isn't it? Because I mean, like, because like, I think, because oh. it, uh, it's not really, but at the same, uh, like, um, hold on, let me th- let me think of how to word this. I think his his dad was looking for him to be norm type of situation. And I think the film wants us to feel that in the fact that in the flashbacks, they're old and Norm's young and in the current day, they're old and his son's young. And I feel like it kind of just, it, it connects to each other. Huh. And I, I don't think it's like, you know, meant to be, you know, super, a super big deal, but I think it's meant to kind of be there. You know? That's interesting. That would be a, a really cool kind of justification for because that was another weird thing visually about the movie is that um, in the flashbacks, it's always the older actors portraying their younger selves. No, like legit, he because Netflix was the last year to say yes to the deal, and he so he didn't want to muddy the deal by asking for more money for um, de aging the characters, so they kept it in there and they kind of just wrote it in as something symbolic and you know like they they did well to to adjust to it, but. Had he had the budget, I'm sure he would have been. He would, he would have dared the characters, but I think it makes sense that they. Oh, did. that's weird. Mm. That's weird because there is that one photograph where they are CGDH, isn't there? Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. See, I would have thought you'd just hire different actors. Yeah, and that's what but I thought too. Actually, I took a screenshot of an interview with Spike Lee as well because he said, he said, um, he said they were thinking about that, but he doesn't want to do it because he can't think of any. He thinks that films that do do that aren't, you know, they're not good films. He, he can't think of a good example, despite the fact what? that Liam Neeson, not Liam Neeson, who am I talking about, that Robert De Niro won a, he won an Oscar for his performance as a young Marlon Brando in The Godfather 2, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Young yeah, so, I mean, like, I feel like that's, that's a, a crazy take. That's a weak um, justification as well. I, it, it's because he didn't have enough money and they just needed another way. to. And I, I think I think they did end up with the best solution, to be honest. I do really, I do like... I liked it. Yeah. yeah, how it is. But had he had the money, he would have gone with the CGI de-aging. That's interesting. Okay. Well, well, IMDb trivia, 
um, has also got a, something to contribute to this. Uh, the, according to this, you know, the reason why the characters appear, this is what you're talking about, the symbolic justification, uh, old during the war flashbacks is because it isn't a flashback, but instead it is the characters remembering the past. Therefore, they remember the past with their current age. It also symbolizes that they're in their mind. They're still in Vietnam and will continue to be in Vietnam, never fully being able to move on from that war. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel like Norm's soundtrack is just, you know, he was only 19, you know, you know, the song. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, like that's just the story of Norm, you know, he died young and then everyone else, you know, he didn't get to grow up, but everyone else did, you know, it's like. Yeah. Actually, sure. saying that, um, Chadwick Boseman isn't, isn't that young. He's four, I mean, like, he's, he's young, but he's 42. He does not look 42. He's 42. Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. Good for him, you know. Hopefully, you know, I mean, as someone who looks like they're 11, maybe I'm on track for that. That'd be that'd be pretty dope. How do you guys feel about? I mean, we mentioned Melvin. I didn't give a shit. Paul had some issues, but he was kind of interesting. Some of us like him more than others. Um, who are we missing here? Oh yeah, we uh, mentioned what's his face, Eddie. Eddie was kind of random. How he said he wasn't rich, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then he dies. I was like, okay, is that just like a thing where we're meant to feel like? There's more than meets the eye to people, which fair enough. Well, uh, but then yeah, he still what, wanted to donate the money despite him being broke. I think it, it, it's kind of he was like, he, you know, he had a pure vision. You know, he he still wanted to do what Norm, you know, had in mind. Anyway, that's a great point. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why it's meant to be impactful. That's a good point. Yeah, no, you're right. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, perfect. I'm sold on that now. Uh, but Otis was the other one we hadn't mentioned. Um. And he gets a subplot where, like, he has a wife and a child at the start of the movie. We learn that. And I was like, cool. And then at the end of the movie, he just hangs out with them again. And I was like, cool. But did you guys feel any attachment to that? It was all, it was okay, like a lot of things in the movie, I guess. <laughs> the only thing I can say about Otis is that him tipping out his Oxycontin just to prove a point is so stupid. I mean, that man's suffering from hip pain, and to prove a point, he's going to throw away all his painkillers. I mean, like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, and you're hiking through, you know, really, you know, like, hard terrain. And, you know, you're, like, 68 years old. You don't belong here. You've got a hip injury, and you're going to throw away the only thing that's keeping you going. I mean, oh, come on, mate. Definitely, yeah, that was trash. Yeah. No. I don't know. I feel like, like, that very specific inclusion of giving a character, you know, like a... A, ch- a child that didn't know existed is like, I feel like a pretty standard uh, emotional beat, you know. Not that we see it often, but I think it's pretty clear that's the intent. And it's just like, okay, like I don't really care. Oh yeah. Especially when it's so early in the movie, there's no like, there's no build up throughout the movie of like, oh, I wish I had a like. This would be generic as as well. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm literally making this up on the spot. But there's no. Throughout the journey, oh, I wish I had a kid, you know, I never got that opportunity, and then we get the kid reveal at the end, you know. That would at least be, like, that would at least have purpose in the script, whereas what we get is just nothing. Do, do, doesn't he have, like, a wife and kid at home as well? Does he? I thought he yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. But no, that, yeah, well, that wouldn't work then. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could just remove them. That's not hard, but yeah. I'll give you this trivia about the writers I was going to give you. The film was originally titled The Last Tour, and it was written by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. Um, it was about four aging white vets who were heading back to Vietnam. 
Oliver Stone was attached to the direct at one point but moved on. Producer Lloyd Levin read in an interview that Lee's favourite film is The Treasure of Sierra Madre. Uh, have you heard of this, Jane? I don't know this. Yeah, is. I've seen it. Is it good? Yeah, it's quality. Is it similar to this movie then, I guess, if that if he brings it up? Um, yeah, because, I mean, like, The Treasure of Sierra, Sierra, uh, Sierra Madre is about this group of miners who go to this random hill and they find a bunch of gold and then, you know, they don't trust each other and, you know, Right. They think the they think the other one's gonna you know take it away at night, and then you know at the end some like cowboys also come up and they're getting, they're trying to take it, but then they all creep band together and they kill the cowboys or whatever. I can't recall too much, but you know, like it, it, like story wise, it is pretty similar. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And final question: Did I get the pronunciation right? Um, Sierra Madre, Sierra Madre, whatever. I mean, I think it's in like the south of America, somewhere. Okay. I mean, like. It definitely have like a Hispanic influence on the name, but like I'm, I'm sure I'm sure the Americans just say it. However, it is the um, pronunciation points I get are a bonus. Yeah, but um, um, it's interesting that you brought that up because like when you were watching it, did you not think it was similar to the Netflix film? Uh, what was the one last year with Ben Affleck, like Triple Frontier or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's similar. To, it's, it's, similar it's pretty similar to that, isn't it? I mean, like similar setting. You know, they all take money. They slowly get killed off one by one, and then they give the money to one guy because he needed it more, whatever. You know. Yeah, I mean, like you know, it, it's that movie's better though. The same. Yeah, um, I think it's more entertaining, but I'm not sure if it's better. You know, I mean, it's definitely more entertaining. There's no doubt about that. Like <laughs> throwing some helicopter sequences, but <laughs> but um, but no, I I do think it's better. I think it does a better job of actually building tension between the characters. Like what you just described of this Sierra Madre movie of like the characters don't trust each other. I never really got that strong sense of that in this movie. Like, sure, Paul was kind of a dissenter in the group. Fair enough. But everyone else, I felt like no, like they kind of had a few arguments, but I never felt like such a great sense of, dude, one of them's going to stab them in the back, you know? But I just feel like that's kind of, a, I mean, like, that's that's just, I feel like, a quality that most people have, isn't it? I mean, you know, like, you'll argue with people, but you're not, you're not you know, I mean, like, I'd, I'd argue with you three, I'm sure. But I mean, like, you know, I'm not going to stab you in the back for a bunch of gold, you know? Yeah, but that makes for a bit boring movie. I want you to stab me in the back for the gold. I'm sorry, did I say you three? I meant you two. Uh, I'm seeing I'm seeing a third person in the recording. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that reminds me of that scene where he actually finds the gold when he's going to take a shit. That was oh. weird. Did not like that. No, that was really weird. I like that David found it. I, I think it validated his role a bit, and you know, I think you know, part of that is why Paul started liking him a bit more for a bit. I, th- I thought that did alright, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was, you know. Yeah. I think that kind of, for me, exemplifies why I dislike the first half so much, because the first half, it's like, okay, we get the opening montage suite, they go to Vietnam suite, we get a lot of time with them, um, which presumably the intent is for me to care, and I never do, so I guess that's kind of a fail, maybe, but maybe it's just me, who knows. But, yeah, so the first half, that we're kind of going on this expedition to find the gold, and it never feels like an expedition it feels like they're just kind of they're just hiking in the woods like like we would just head out to the yu yangs you know <laughs> didn't even seem that treacherous and then david just goes and takes a shit and he finds it i'm like oh okay so like when's the tension coming you know do you reckon we should go down to the yu yangs tomorrow and you know we'll go take random shit's places and see if we can find gold 100 percent, yeah <laughs> every hundred meters oh i need to take a shit we'll alternate you know who needs to shit yeah exactly we're bound to find it eventually I'm sorry, I wasn't even done with... I, I'm, I was literally mid-sentence with this trivia bit. My apologies. Sorry. Um, no, no, <laughs> that was my fault. I asked 50 questions. Uh, where the hell was I? Lee would... He, he thought... Uh, the producer thought Lee would appreciate the similar elements in the last tour. 
Lee liked the premise, and he and his co-writer, uh, Kevin Wilmot, rewrote the script uh, to make it about black soldiers. So there you go. That was just what it was about. Uh, I mean, those two writers pretty much had, like, no contribution to the final product then. I mean, you know, you lift a premise from a 1950s film, and, you know, you rewrite it to adjust your own agenda. I mean, like, what did the original two do other than, you know, show him, you know, guide him to it? Yeah. Yeah, other than, like, give him an outline, basically. Yeah. we got two more little bits of trivia for you. According to an interview with Giancarlo Esposito, our boy, he was in talks to be cast alongside Samuel L. Jackson, Denzel Washington, and John David Washington. Dude, killer cast right there. Who's Carlo? However, what was that? Who's Carlo? Oh, Giancarlo Esposito from uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. Uh, uh, he's yeah. in Do the Right Thing, isn't he, I think? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, however, due to scheduling conflicts, it fell apart. Sad face. And... I mean, no discredit or, or no insult to the actors in this movie. I think they do a fine job. Um, but I feel like those actors, if that was the movie with these people, those people, um, I think they could have brought an extra charisma to the film that it needed for me. It felt kind of void of that. And I don't know, I feel like all those super talented people, and obviously actors in this movie are super talented as well. I'm not saying that, but I don't know. I feel like they could have added something to the movie that I needed. I thought um, David gave a very John David Washington vibes anyway, like especially when it was introduced. Did. I mean, in that shot where he's just sitting there with like the orange juice in his hand or whatever it was, I don't know, some kind of cocktail. It's like that overhead shot of just his face. I mean, like that felt very, you know, him, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Would, uh, would John David Washington, would Denzel have played Paul then? Like, or would, would John David like not play the role of his you know of his son because that would be i think denzel would be the only sensible replacement from that list you read i don't think samuel l jackson as good as an actor as he is i don't think he could have pulled off paul like the the you know like you know that rambling as like you know as he walks through the jungle i think like denzel could have done that very well but like i mean who knows like i haven't seen a lot of samuel l jackson films like i just don't feel like he's i mean i'm sure he could do it but i just feel like denzel would be the more reasonable choice to do paul yeah no, I agree with that. I think I mean I think SLJ could definitely do it, but I agree with you. I think out of that list, Denzel makes more sense for that. But then, dude, imagine, imagine if John Carlos Pacino was in this movie and he, and he was playing uh, what's his face Eddie, and he just had the same role and he just got blown up. I would have been so sad. Oh, that would have been that actually probably would have been better because I actually cared, you know, in on a meta level. I was like, dude, you just killed John Carlo. What the frig? Yeah. IMDb says. This will be the first Netflix film to screen at the Cannes Film Festival, or sorry, excuse me, the Cannes Film Festival in three years. Um, IMDb, I don't think, is aware of the coronavirus. So I uh, just wanted to, I thought that was funny that that was still there. I thought there'd be um, more to talk about with this movie, but um, I don't know, it seems like we've covered a lot, I guess. As, um, um... No, but yeah. stuff. Uh, did, did either of you guys realize that there was two cuts for one hug a few times? Yes, that was strange. I noticed it twice. That was, yeah, that was. Oh, I mean, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, like, I mean, you know, like something, an event that requires multiple cuts. You know, usually like represent. It usually means you know it's 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 of like you know some significance. But like when they did it, it just didn't. I mean, like the hug felt, you know, not. I mean, it's just for unimportant, you know. I'm sorry about that. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it did feel unimportant. You're absolutely right. Um, that that was th- something I noticed immediately, and I went to write it down, and then I thought, oh no, everyone's just going to think this is another Zach en- editing ramble that no one wants to hear. But I'm glad you brought it up. I wrote it down because I thought you would bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Great minds think alike. Well, it, it, this kind of relates to like the little history lesson I gave it before this, um, and it, it's, it's the fact that I can't imagine. Well, it's not okay. Well, I can't imagine a Vietnamese working for a Frenchman, but I can't imagine the Vietnamese character that we got, who was so nationalist, and he still hated Americans working for a Frenchman, considering what the French had did, had done to his country prior to the Americans coming in. You know, and that's just something. Oh, right. That's just something I personally found was a bit weird. I mean, like I know it's not a big deal for like you know ninety eight percent of people, but it's just something that it was just a little another thing that kind of you know made me a bit iffy. Um, yeah, interesting. It didn't help that that character was just super generic as well. Just like, oh, yeah. I'm a rambling, angry dude. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, that's the problem with, like, all the Vietnamese, like, like all, all the Vietnamese that take issue with, you know, them being, you know, XGIs, you know, they all kind of, like, the guy that was giving him the chicken, you know, he, he like, you know, he, like, it's just, he gets angry and angry and just, like, more incoherent. Oh. You know? I mean, like, it's just not a good way to portray the Vietnamese at Wait, all. Are you, talking about, are you talking about the Vietnamese guy? I thought, you, I thought you were talking about the uh, French guy for a second, but um. Oh no no the the, the French guy. I also didn't really like his um. His character that much. Um, yeah. Like, oh right. He played by the guy who didn't. Uh, Leon. Leon, yeah, Jean Reno. Yeah. I don't know. It just wasn't. Yeah, he was just, you know, kind of bland like other characters in this film, I guess. Hmm. For sure. The last thing I have, it's, I mean, I, I get why they did it because I mean, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's just you know with the characters' mindsets, but you know, for a film that preaches you know this anti-racist message, they still use the word "gook" a few times, um, and like that's just you know it's just an offensive term that refers to, like I don't know I, th- I think it's like Southeast Asian countries and just you know East Asia, and I mean that just felt a bit weird to me as well. Like I understand it's because you know. I, I know, like, they, they, they tell us that Paul, you know, he doesn't like immigrants or whatever, So he, and, you know, they're all war vets, so they all have this little bit of, you know, a little bit of bias towards these people. So it makes sense for them to use it, you know, character-wise. But in a film that preaches this message of, you know, you know anti-racism, you know, black lives matter, whatever, it just felt weird that they were still using that. I, I feel like it's, it's complicated, kind of. I feel like if you were to talk to Spike Lee about that, he'd have a justification. And, and it'd have a reasoning that makes sense. Like, I believe that. I, I'm sure it was intentional. It's just this weird fine line where when you're tackling these issues, it's kind of hard for the audience to read, like, yeah, I don't, this feels weird and I don't know about that. It's kind of, yeah. Because, yeah. like, I, I don't think Spike Lee wrote that in there and just forgot, you know. It's like, oh, shit, yeah, no, I was like, being like, racist. Like, no, yeah, it's 100% intentional, like, you know, like, character-wise. But, like, you know, yeah. yeah. Have you guys got anything else? I'm kind of done. I... I don't know. I feel, I feel like we kind of touched everything that I wanted to anyway, but are you missing anything, Fitzy? I thought the film was uh, emotional at times, emotionally effective at times. Um, Did you? Yeah, like the forgiveness scene and the okay. montage scene where they're like giving their money to, you know, charities and communities and stuff. I actually didn't like um, the montage too much. It, oh, it, it, felt, it felt too... Like stylistically, it was nice the way like the way it was shot and the way it, it all unfolded. But like, it felt really generic to put at the end of the movie. You know, like yeah. I would have liked an, I would have liked a more creative way to to kind of like show what they were doing. 
Yeah. Yeah, like seeing, okay, well, Eddie got his wish. He did donate the money to the good charity. I was like, okay, like, cool. Like, that's, I appreciate that, but I, it, yeah, I agree with you, Jane. I think, yeah, there was emotional other points just sprinkled throughout, and I think it kind of, you know, it's truthful in the sense that, you know, this kind of the Vietnamese war haunts these um these people, and especially Paul, and kind of, you know, the war continues in their minds and stuff, and I like those aspects of it. Um, but, yeah, yeah. So we've talked about the bunch of problems this movie has, so. I guess we're done. Terrific. Um, Jaden, out of 10. I don't know. I was hoping I'd kind of settle on a score by the end of this, this discussion, but I still feel a bit conflicted. Because um, I, I just don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Seven, I'd say. Okay. Because I, th- I think it is really good, but like, with the, like, you know, with the problems I did mention about, you know, just like, just in terms of like history and like, you know, like stuff that just doesn't make sense quite like that. And, you know, what characters, you know, like, like character motives and like, you know, what they did with characters. It, it, yeah, I don't know, seven. I, yeah, I feel like it's seven. Um, I'll give it a five. I think it's, I'm dead in the middle. I think um, uh, this entire discussion, I think, did service to my opinion fully, where there, the, I, I highlighted all the things I appreciate about the movie and a lot of the things that just kind of fall flat and are dull and are kind of boring about the movie. Um, the movie, I didn't even really mention that. It's definitely overly long, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine when the runtime is dedicated to really getting you invested in the characters in that lead up, and I respect that, but the movie never does that for me, um, where I feel like I'm just wasting time. So, um, but yeah, equal amount of things I think I like and dislike about it, so I'm giving it a five. How about you, Fitzy? Um, six. Um, yeah, just very mixed mixed qualities, I guess. Um, yeah, we've covered it all, I guess. I think we, do, we didn't really mention um, uh, Lamb, you know. Um, oh, yeah. How do you guys feel about their, their involvement? I mean, as soon as, like, they were introduced as, you know, like an anti-mine, like, you know, like a, what, what, you know, like a, a demining, like de-landmine, whatever the hell. I, I knew one of the characters were going to step on a landmine, you know. It's a thing where, for me, like, the, the female French chick who leads them, uh, she had some weird character moments for me, too, where... She seemed kind of into David at first, and then, you know, David captures her, and then she's like, dude, I hate your guts. And I'm like, yo, fair enough. Totally justified. And then the next day, she's, like, actually kind of into him again. That was weird. Yeah, I hate the way she plays, you know, like the generic nurse character, you know, the, the, the you know, nursing the wounded soldier type of, you know, stereotype thing. I mean, I'm not one who is typically bothered by conveniences in the plot, where this just happens for no reason. Like I I typically don't care that much, but I think it was the way in which the scene established um, how out of nowhere the minds came for the characters. And then also literally 30 seconds later, the land people show up. Oh, what a coincidence. We're the people that help people with minds and you just run into minds. You know, it's not something that bothers me a great deal. It's not something that would knock points down or anything, but I noticed. I think them rocking up there would be just because like, I mean, partly it's convenience because, you know, they had to be really close to shop there so fast, but, you know, they would have heard the blast for quite a distance. So, like, you know, they would have... They, oh, that is true. That is true. They would have rocked up, it, you know, eventually. That's a good point. Sorry, right. Fitz, you go now. I was going to say I thought that her acting at times wasn't the best. Like, um, in the scene where 
David is talking about how um, how his mother died. She's like, she like smiles for a second, and I'm like, wait. <laughs> it's but, just the French man. Their their emotions are screwed up. She thought it was hilarious. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, the inclusion of them was um. It was fine, I guess. I don't know. I like how we continue the discussion after we've given our scores. Yeah. We've done that for a few weeks. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. All right. Well, uh, yeah, the five lots. Okay, cool. We'll move on. Uh, news chat. Um, what do we got? Ennio Morricone passed away. That shit sucks, you know? Mm. You guys have anything to say? Say it with a bit more passion. Yeah. You want me to sound like... What do you mean by passion? Like enthusiastic? No, just a bit more heart. I mean, you're, you're so monotonal. I mean, and you're more passed that... away. I mean, you know, say it with some sadness, you know? I mean, a dude died. It kind of, it's kind of trash, you know? Yeah. I feel like I did justice to it, to be honest. Uh, I don't think you did. Do you, you can give it a go. I would, say, I would never cast you in my film if that was the you know audition you put in. I mean. True, true. That, that, fair. And I mean... For this entire show, everything I say, I am acting entirely. So I get what you mean. I did fall flat there, that performance. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're on track for an Oscar, but, you know, that that that, that just ruined your chances, man. <laughs> or it could be a revenant situation where, for some reason, that's actually what wins me the Oscar, you know? How dare you. <laughs> <laughs> got you. I got you. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very sad. He was very... He was a legendary, you know, composer. Uh, Over 400 credits. Yeah. That's crazy. That's very impressive. Wasn't there a situation where um, the Academy gave him an Oscar just because they thought he was never going to be able to win an Oscar? Like, they gave him, like, an honorary, like, oh, you deserve an Oscar for everything you've done, but you're way too old to win an Oscar. And then he actually won an Oscar for Hateful Eight after that? <laughs> I think that happened. Don't quote me. I'm not expert, but I've heard that story, and that's hilarious. Like, good for him. Just kicking ass. He's got so many great themes, though, great soundtracks, though. Like, you know, um, The Thing, you know, we covered, you know, the Dollars Trilogy, all the soundtracks there. Um, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yep. Yeah, cheers for that, Finny. I couldn't tell if that was Spotify playing <laughs> in my house. I just needed to do it to make sure we were, you know, we all knew exactly what the theme was because, you know, it's definitely not iconic enough, you know. And, um, you know, The Hateful Eight and... So, so many great scores. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to re-listening to the Hateful Eight score and paying more attention to it, because I liked it the first time, but I didn't really have context, you know? Like, real-life context, I mean. Right. All right, next up, Disney. <laughs> oh, I'm such an asshole. Disney, Tron 3, maybe? Question mark? I um, Jan, you said you weren't so sure about your sources for this story when you brought it up. I did some Googling. And your sources are actually pretty decent. Oh. Um, a Disney music executive uh, pointed out that the script had been worked on for about five years now. Um, apparently, the rumors of Jared Leto um, being cast in the film started in 2017, apparently. Pff, I had no idea, but um, that happened. And it was a Disney music executive who recently did make comments suggesting, yes, that script was in development and it could happen. His words were, it could happen. Um, so... Cool. He actually specifically cited Disney Plus could be the place for it, to which I'd say, maybe not. 
Nah, that I, needs to be on the on the big screen, especially if they stick with the same aesthetic. I mean, like aesthetically, Tron is such a like amazing film. Like for that, you know, I mean, you know, like like I think it's really great. Like, and I I don't I don't want to watch it on Disney Plus on the shitty TV. I want to watch it on the big screen. That's true. That's true. Artemis Fowl also deserved the big screen experience, but yeah, it, it'll be a double showing. Yes, yes, that's true. Um. I know you're obviously a big fan of Daft Punk's music for Tron Legacy, Jane, but in regards to just Tron as a franchise, as, you know, the story of this series, do you oh, no, are I, you invested in it? I actually, I, I do really like it. Um, okay. Yeah, and, like, like, I thought it was – the first time I watched it was, you know, when it first released, and I thought it – when I rewatched, it, I thought it would be a case of, you know, oh, you know, it was just when I was young. But it is a film that I still like. Yeah, it's tropey as, you know, all hell, and, you know, it hits a fair few stereotypes, and, you know, you can tell what's going to happen. But I think it does a – I, th- I, th- I think it still does a good enough job with the story and the way it unfolds and, you know, oh, this is actually Tron and this is that and that and that. And I think it, um, I don't really do a good job of doing justice to films when I explain it, do I? Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think, tr- I, I, I genuinely do really like, like the Tron legacy film. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's really great. It's got a great visual, you know, visual style, great soundtrack, you know, very, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's very energetic, I guess. Like the lighting and stuff. And, uh, even like the um, even like the real world sequences, even they're well, well shot. I mean, like um, yeah, like the like the arcades, you know, like and like you know the opening heist, whatever it was. I love the uh the flashbacks there as well with the like mm. the original creators and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like I I just I had a look at uh, some stuff just then as well, and it said that Daft Punk will be returning, but. From what I heard, they didn't love their experience working with Disney because Disney edited their score a, a, like a, a fair bit, and they didn't appreciate that. But um, mm. I, th- I, I guess at this point, it's just rumor versus rumor. Um, so as yeah. it does happen, I mean, like yeah. their, their score is still like bloody fantastic, absolutely, you know, amazing. Tron Legacy is a movie I've definitely seen, but have no memory of, other than Kurt Russell's in it. So I need to check that out. I think it it also begs the question if they're going to return because. If they're doing the score for um, Black Glass, which is Dario Argento's new film, I'm curious as to wh- as to how fast they do another soundtrack. Because I mean, as far as I'm aware, Tron Legacy is the only soundtrack that they've actually composed, and other than that, it's all just you know original music. So for them to hit two, um, to, for them to do two soundtracks, you know, consecutively or or you know close to each other, whatever happens, um, I think it'd be interesting for their career. Yeah, it's kind of like M A three. You know, he's he's done three, four soundtracks now. But like, you know, he always he, he there's usually an album in between to break it up. So, yeah. Right, right. I totally know who that is. No, I reckon you'd like M A three. Actually, he's um he's 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 um his stuff's pretty cinematic. Um, you know, album wise. Did he do okay. um intro and outro, or was it just one of them? He did. Yeah, no, that that's off his album. Hurry up, we're dreaming. Oh yeah, that's so. That's a Mr. Robot. It's so good. Yeah, and also like a few songs off that are used in like like um wait is another really famous song that's used in like a lot of like you know like romance films, and um my tears are becoming a sea is also used quite often. Actually, Finny, you've seen the movie Five Feet Apart, haven't you? I have. Yes. Yeah. Um, the song wait, I'm pretty sure is featured in that, so you would have at least heard in the. Got it. Okay. Okay. So I've probably yeah, I've, pro- I've probably heard of this guy. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, next up, we got um, no bias here. I promise. Um, 
Todd Phillips directed, Chris Hemsworth starring in a Hulk Hogan biopic. Um, there have been rumours about this for ages, for ages. So it's been in development for a long time. Bradley Cooper, I think, was attached to direct at some point, but he's now producing it. Um, I'm bringing this up because I think this sounds super interesting. Um, Good brother. <laughs> it should be. It should be. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I think if it were any other director, I wouldn't really care. Chris Hemsworth is in a Hulk Hogan biopic where Hulk Hogan overcomes some shit and he, at the moment, he gets the big recreation moment probably of the WrestleMania 3 slam. Cool. Like, like you know, it, just generic shit like Rocket Man, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody shit for Hulk Hogan. Like, okay, whatever. But I think the fact that Todd Phillips is attached to this uh, and the Joker writer as well, that to me indicates that they're actually interested in exploring the character and not just, like, recreating cool shit for people to go and watch in the theatre, you know. Um, and, and and Hulk Hogan, uh, don't know if you guys know this, very interesting character. And I'm not even just talking about, you know, his recent, you know, recent Hulk Hogan, modern Hulk Hogan, uh, racist Hulk Hogan, not that Hulk Hogan. But, um, like, past Hulk Hogan is, you know, very notorious for being... Uh, Doing a lot of crap. ...character. For, yes, uh, for, uh, <laughs> for being a bit of an ego... And causing a lot of problems. So I think this movie genuinely has a lot of potential as a character study. Um, and at the same time, also actually expose, uh, you know, the politics and the, the backstage bullshit of the early 80s wrestling scene to a more mainstream audience. I think that's, I think people would be genuinely fascinated by a lot of it, but it's not really common knowledge, you know. Enlighten us. Oh, oh, I mean, no, it just... It's just all really interesting. There's not very. I'm not actually talking about anything very specific. It's just you know the way egos are at play and how it causes uh, issues between people and when they work together and um, you know how it affects outcomes of matches, etc. It's all very interesting. But I think the movie could do a good job of getting into it. So I'm excited. It's um strange how Todd Phillips went from you know the Hangover movies and like comedies like Due Date and stuff to. Joker yeah. was apparently another character study movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hulk Hogan's gonna like complain about society in this film, isn't he? Yeah. Moray. Um, what do we got? The Batman HBO Max series set in the Matt Reeves Batverse, which I've just named. Uh, do we know anything else about this video? You brought it up. I don't. I don't know. Is there? Anything else to say? I don't think so. Um, okay. Just setting a new Gotham. Um, that could be cool. Yeah. I presume it would centre on other characters and not just and not Robert Pattinson. He ain't got time for this. For Wait, this did you say show, yeah. it was set in Gotham or set in New Gotham? Because I know like fans have been wanting like a Nightwing series for a long time now, and I could see Matt Reeves doing oh. something like that and like you know focusing on like Bloodhaven a bit more instead of Gotham and yeah. Oh. What is Bloodhaven? Is that like the is that like the Geelong? You know? Yeah, pretty much. Melbourne? Yeah, just, wow. just across the bay. That's hilarious. I was actually going to make a joke. Oh, are they going to like set it in Gotham's version of Geelong? And apparently, there actually is one. So there you go. Yeah, I'll bring it up. Finally, Mad Max Furiosa spin-off prequel. Um, Furiosa, of course, the the protagonist. I guess yes, protagonist of Mad Max Fury Road. Charlie Theron is not going to be in this movie though. And she'll be recast for a younger actress. Jane, my question to you is, what? Why? How? Why not? Touche. 
<laughs> but like like that's such a weird choice you know it's not like Charlize Theron is like really old looking oh shit we need to recast her like what no but I think I, I think that just tells us that they're gonna like go like a fair bit into the past I think most people were expecting a story where she's still part of like Immortan Joe's you know like little group whatever it is and she's still a driver but if they're casting a younger actress I think it, 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 it'll probably take place like you know prior to her Joining that maybe prior to her even losing her arm, so I mean, like, yeah, I think I think I don't know. I mean, casting young okay. just makes sense, I reckon. Is um, is Mad Max like the original Mad Maxes? Um, are they like connected? Um, are they like in the same timeline as Fury Road, or is Fury Road like its own thing? Jaden, I don't know. Uh, yeah, actually, because I've only seen the first Mad. I haven't seen number two and. Thunderdome, or whatever it is. Um, okay. So, I mean, like, number one was shot back here in Lara, and, like, you know, the landscape was still, like, you know, what it is now, it's still normal. Mm. So, like, if it is in the same universe, a lot of shit must have happened in that time between, you know, one and four. Yeah. You didn't just say it was shot in Lara, did you? Yeah. You shitting me? No. Nah. Wow. How did I not know that? That's crazy. Yeah. I think yeah, I, I, I'm pretty. I think actually, I think the first Mad Max is pre-apocalypse. I think it's the brink of an apocalypse. So I think it, it, it might make sense for it to occur in the same universe. It might be the same. It, um, is it like in Fury Road? Is it like um, is it acknowledged within the universe that they're in Australia, or are they just in some random post-apocalyptic place? I, I, there's nothing that specifically points out that it is Australia. Right. Okay. All right. What have we been watching? Uh, Jaden, start us. Um, let me quickly bring up my thing. Fitzy, start us. Wow. Fitzy, are you there? Are you alive? Oh, one sec. Are you okay? Uh, I've got oh, it. Are you bringing... right. <laughs> okay, okay. I was about to dive in, but no, you're good. Oh no, go ahead. You made it. You, you, no, we survived. No, no, no. You, you, you managed to recover. It's fine. You, you know? really go first. I mean, you know. No, no. I, I actually go first a fair bit, to be honest. Do you? Yeah. I just don't pay attention. Still gotta. Um, there you go. All right. Uh, start off the week with uh, the signal. Uh, stars uh, Olivia Cook, Brenton Thwaites, and Bonap, and it's uh, about some college kids on a road trip, and they're tracking a signal from a mysterious hacker. And when they find the signal, some crazy shit happens. Um, pretty decent. It's just that the film has too many ideas going on for it to really commit to one solid path. You know, there's a lot of chicanery, and it, it and in like it, it kind of whips the audience back and forth too much for it to really be good. Because like, there's a lot of good concepts, but because it just you know turns so fast, it's hard to grasp onto them. Um, but yeah, that's still a 7 out of 10 I gave. Um, and I'm on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Uh, way better than number two. Number two is so disrespectful to the source material. I mean, like the directors and the writers have come out and said they didn't even like the original. They just, you know, like they created the second one, you know, with, you know, with not wanting to pay homage or respect at all to the original. Um, and number three does a good job of, you know, it reintroduces... Um, Nancy, I think the character's name was, um, and you know, the, the, it's it's much more similar and it's it tonally and you know, like whatever to the first one, and it's um 
pretty good. Gave that a seven as well. Gave a lot of sevens this week. Um, I watched Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is, I mean, like that's just like a montage of just heck. Um, I don't even know how to describe a montage of heck. Um, I mean, like that's insane. Like it's 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 like it's just insane. Gave that a seven as well. I don't really know what more to say about it. Um, I watched Seven Days in Hell, which is I think I think it was a HBO little special that starred Andy Samberg and Kit Harrington, um, and it was just you know about a fictional tennis match that lasted seven days. Um, that was really funny. Um, it, was, it was only like forty minutes, um, but you know that's all you really need for the material that it was based on. I mean, you know that, that's all you need for the material rather. Um, right, pretty good. That's that's awesome. I love the premise of um, doing something that oh this thing only needs 40 minutes. Let's, you know, who gives a shit? Let's do it for 40 minutes as opposed to, you know, trying to make it feature length. Yeah. It's, 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 it, yeah. I mean, look, they, awesome. they just want to go in there, tell a few jokes, be pretty crude and then just, you know, just hop out and like they do their job. Yeah. Um, I watched the love witch, which is like a, it's an ode to like the 1960s exploitation horror films. Um, but this time it's through like a feminist lens. Um, it was a lot better than what I was expecting. I was just going into it, you know, looking for some pretty colors and some nice cinematography. But like, it actually tells like a good story and like with a good metaphor and you know, uh, you know, um, just like that. Okay, that is seven as well. Um, uh, I watched the one in black two. Um, that was pretty hard. Uh, the first one in black was a horror film I've, I've seen. I, I watched rather because um, it stars Daniel Radcliffe. So I mean, like. You know, it was pretty much like Harry Potter, but like, you know, part nine. Um, but number two was just shit. Um, Transformers Dark of the Moon I rewatched, And I, I've, I've brought up Transformers before on the show. I'll always stand by the series. I know it's not good, but I bloody love it. Um, I think number three is like the perfect go-to action movie because I mean, like, it's grand, it's epic, and it's still early enough in the series that it's not too tired and like it's it's still good enough, you know? Sure. Um, yeah, I think um, I think Shia LaBeouf does it does a pretty good job carrying the movie, you know. And um, I mean, it's just more of the same robot battles, and that's all I really want from it. Um, sure. And then I watched Relic, which is a new Aussie horror film starring. I'm so glad you watched this because it's been haunting me on the stand home screen. It's <laughs> starring uh, Bella Heathcote and Emily Mortimer. Um, I was surprised to see that it's produced by Jake Gyllenhaal and like the Russo brothers. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, um, that was really good. I think um, there was one big thing that hurt it that I can't really mention. Um, gave that an eight out of ten. Mm. Um, but it, it's it's really brilliant to see you know Australia, you know in cinema, and especially in like something that's different. I mean, in in a horror. I mean, like I know we have the Babadook, but the Babadook is ass. I don't care about how much, you know, people say, oh, it's a metaphor for depression and coping or whatever. Like, I don't give a shit. It's a shit movie. Um, <laughs> Wait, why do, you, why do you not like it? Like, it's just, oh, it's boring. The kids, the, like, that kid in the film is the most annoying kid in cinema history. He just screeches and screams and, you know, you're not my mum, you're hurting this, do what, that, that. I mean, like, it, it's, it's like, it's like looking at Zach for two hours, like, honestly. <laughs> um... Oh, yeah, I, I I don't like the Babadook, but um, Relic is a very good uh, little Aussie horror set up in Creswick, which is uh, about an hour and a half from here. And uh, Keswick, Creswick, Cheswick, I don't know, one of those. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Good. I've never heard of that movie, the whatever, but that analogy was hilarious. The Babadook. It's pretty. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, because like it's an Aussie horror, um, which is rare enough. But then it broke through to the mainstream because Netflix accidentally added it to the LGBTQ like um category, and it became a bit of a meme. Wow. Oh, that's great. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I can totally see why that's a meme. That's funny. Okay. How about you, Fitzy? Um, what? Fistful of Dollars, um, completing the, uh, you know, the, the, the first one in the Dollars trilogy. Um, you did it in reverse. That's, that's insane, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, uh, I, I think it was almost equally as well made, but it just wasn't as, Exciting, I guess. Um, I don't know why, really. I was just bored by it by the second half. Um, but still a great Morricone score and great direction and stuff. Um, uh, the World's End. Um, and that's the uh, last one in the uh, Cornetto trilogy. Um, so... Uh, Edgar Wright's Conedo Trilogy, I've finished that now. Um, it's uh, great, just like the other ones, but maybe not as good as the other two, but I don't know, still still great. Um, Edgar Wright just does, like, everything good, you know, his characters, is, he's got mixes style with substance and, you know, convention with, like, invention and... Ooh. Just some great films. Um, and then Pusher, I watched last night, oh, yesterday. Um, it's Nicholas Winding Refn and Mads Mikkelsen's debut. debut. And, um, oh, it's so great. It's, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it focuses on the Copenhagen drug scene. I already let, um, I won't read that, but, um, it uh focuses on this focuses on the Copenhagen drug scene for the for this Frank character and it's a pretty cliche story I guess he's like in debt to his boss and when he's you say like, this Frank character do you mean like a a, a colloquial term for Germans or do you mean like a character oh no his name is Frank <laughs> actually no Frank is French isn't it not German oh, what am I talking about is it I think. I don't know. but um. I don't know. It's it's shot in this like uh, people say like gorilla like documentary like realistic kind of style, and it um it's like I said in my review it's like it's like uncut gems but like less polished and like in a good way like it's like oh. it's really um I don't know it just takes you into this this scummy kind of world and lets you, uh, I guess, uh, learn about these characters and stuff, but, um, it's really great. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. The only thing I got is devs and I actually finished it the week before last and I completely forgot to bring it up on the show last week because I guess that kind of speaks to how forgettable it is. Um, oh God, this show, it's, it's, decent i wish it's got the ingredients you know it's got 
terrific music. The music is so haunting, so unique. I've never heard anything like it in my life. Not that I'm a music aficionado, but I'm like, dude, this shit is insane. It's terrifying um, and creepy and disturbing. Um, Amazing. You know, great visuals, just tons of beautiful shots of San Francisco, and, you know, I'll take that any day. But, and and the story's interesting. It's very philosophical. I think it it would be kind of up your alley, Fitzy, in that way, you know. It brings up interesting discussions regarding determinism and um, and free will and and uh, and simulation, etc. You know, pretty uh, I say standard philosophical things, I guess, for people that are philosophically minded. But still, um, you know, it, it brings them up, and I appreciate that. I always, you know, enjoy thinking about that kind of shit. But in the same time, it's it's trying to service two audiences at once. I feel like. Uh, it goes into such in-depth discussion with these topics where it's like trying to appeal to people like me who already understand these things, and I appreciate that, but also really dumb it down for people who don't get it. Like there's in there's like a 10-minute scene where the character where one character is literally explaining to another character what determinism is, like they're speaking to a 12-year-old. And I, I get, you know, some people probably don't know what the shit is, and that's totally fine. But I don't know. It feels kind of conflicted in what audience it's going for in that way because I'm like, I don't need this. Other people probably need this. But then do those other people even care about this shit? You know, it's just this weird uh, uh, contradiction in a way. But the story and the characters are kind of just – it kind of falls flat in the end for me. I think the first – the pilot's really interesting. The first episode really sets up some interesting concepts and and kind of puts you in a really interesting direction for, holy shit, what's this story going to be about? And then it kind of falls flat after that where a lot of the shit's resolved really quickly in like episode three or four. And then from there, you're given another kind of carrot on a stick thread to go, oh, what about this? And then that resolves itself really neatly too. And it all just kind of ends up being fine. And yeah, it's not really a story I think that's worth eight hours of your time. I said to my dad, who I watched it with, I told him that would have been a great two-hour movie if you condense what that story was kind of reorder some things, you know, keep the amazing visuals and music. I think that would be a super memorable philosophical sci-fi drama. But unfortunately, I don't really – I can't recommend it as a TV series, unfortunately. But um, sorry, I cut you off there, Fitzy. You were going to say something? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, um, like Ex Machina. I feel like it's the most, like, cliche philosophical kind of thing that can, you know, that – kind of cliche philosophical story it's like about you know you know the whole thing that Westworld did as well like um you know free will and the robots and the humans and they're the same and they're not the same and it's like yeah i don't think it actually is that you know there's that much to go into is that deep you know it's just kind of i don't know it's not fake philosophical but it's like kind of yeah. Is that trying too hard? It's just, I, f- I feel like I it, it's, trying, it's, not, it's never shoveling it down your throat. It's not trying to. I've, I haven't seen X Mark and I'm just trying to like oh. compare to what I've seen with devs to be clear. Yeah. Because I mean, Alex Garland, obviously. Yeah. I feel like the f- philosophical elements are pretty like simplistic, but it had, it's trying to pretend like it's deeper, you know? Like these are things that have been explored in like a hundred different kind of movies and. TV shows and stuff. That's how I feel about devs, yeah. Right. 
hundred percent. Devs is like that, except eight hours long, and <laughs> so you know, it, yeah, it's like exploring. Like I said, the, these concepts like they're meant to be like holy shit, this is crazy. But it's like I've seen plenty of this shit done before, and I love it in Westworld because Westworld is able to integrate it into actually interesting character development and you know cool action scenes and you know actually engaging shit. It's not just fully reliant on that stuff, right. you know. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I wish I liked it more, but it would have been a great movie. Let's get into our question of the show. Last week, we asked you to write in in the YouTube comments section and tell us what's a movie so bad that you had to turn it off, which is a great question, and we got some great answers for it. I think we got this might be the highest turnout we've ever gotten at the end section of this show, which is great. We got five responses. Earth-shattering shit. Thank you very much. Um, Let's do it. Michael said... Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad, pure shit. Jared Leto is terrible. He should stick to his music, which isn't any better. <laughs> oh, thanks, Michael. I agree with you. Suicide Squad is pure shit. Lachlan wrote in and said, I also... Oh, he says also because he wrote some other comment that, you know. Uh, I couldn't finish watching the remake of Aladdin. It brought me physical pain. Lachlan, mate, don't know, don't know what you watched, mate, but the remake of Aladdin was perfectly good. But anyway, I'm sorry. What? I disagree with you. Wow. I haven't even seen it, but like, I just can't believe you disrespect Guy Ritchie like that. I know. It's, it's decent. Like, I, I didn't love it. I just, I didn't really love Aladdin anyway. I thought it was like perfectly serviceable. I was like, oh, that was good. You know? I, was like, I still can't get over that Guy Ritchie directed that movie, though. It's just weird to me. Is it? Kind of. Like, at the start, when it, like, you know, comes up, and, you know, you know a lot more about Guy Ritchie than me, but when it comes up, like, at the start, a Guy Ritchie film, it's just weird. Like, I'm watching Aladdin. If you look at his career from, like, you know, Lockstock to Snatch to, to you know, some other, you know, gangster films to then Sherlock Holmes, I think if you look at it from Sherlock Holmes to Aladdin, it's a, it makes a lot more sense oh, than looking at it from yeah. the start to Aladdin. You know? That's fair. Especially when you're, like, you know, King Arthur and shit as well. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's a really good point. Luke said, never finished watching Batman and Robin. I think the whole Mr. Freeze, Bane and Poison Ivy thing was just yuck. That's that's a great adjective. Plus, the whole Batman credit card gag was just too off-putting. Do you guys have thoughts on Batman and Robin? I've seen it. I can't really remember it, though. No, neither. Batman and Robin was with George Clooney, right? Or is it? Yeah. 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 But that was the second George Clooney one, wasn't it? Or was it? Is there two George Clooney? I don't know. No, there's only one. He's the only one here. Yeah. Wait, so hold on. So with the four that were made in like the 80s and 90s, it was like what? Kilmer? Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney. Oh, Keaton's got two. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where am I up to? Henry wrote in and said, I don't think I've ever not been able to finish a movie because I thought it was bad. Oh, that's impressive. That's impressive right there. Because I derive a sick eye <laughs> Never mind. Because I derive a sick pleasure from watching such movies. However, this is now a call-out post to my family. Oh, shit. Here we go, guys. Who turned off the nice guys halfway through because they all thought it was awful. Suffice it to say, I was offended enough to write this entire paragraph. Henry, you've got good reason to be offended. I'm offended too. Wow. The Nice Guys is a great movie, man. Have you seen... um... Have you seen, like, when um, Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling did, like, press uh, on the Graham Norton for that show? No. no? Uh, it, it's really great because, I mean, like, 
feel like they have great chemistry between them and you know it's, it's just a really funny show because like all the other guests and like the way that you know like the way they talk about everything you know i'd recommend yeah yeah that sounds hilarious just honestly anytime ryan gosling's on the show i mean like when he was there for la la land, la la land when he was there for blade on 2049 you know he, he just does well on the graham norton show ryan sure. gosling is just amazing it's mm. one of the best actors today should I change your nickname to Ryan Gosling, Summer One Fanboy? Sure. What, man? Cool. The cool embrace. Finally, Paul said, okay, you asked for it. Holy shit, here we go, guys. Strap in. Let me set the scene. I love I love when a comment sounds like that. I was at the cinema with one of your panel members. <laughs> <laughs> it was Liam, right? Yeah. 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 Exposed. Wow, that was like that was like a spoiler, Jaden. Wow. Well, Paul doesn't ever give us a name, so I had to, you know, shoehorn it in there. Sure, sure. Okay. As well as regular contributors, Luke and Lachlan. Strange, strange people. I don't know who they are. Man, this movie was a stinker, but I was trapped. As the designated driver, I could not leave these boys behind. Technically, I had to finish the movie as a result, but let me tell you that I contemplated leaving the cinema and waiting outside. Oh, wow, that's. Wow. On the way home in the car, as the boys discussed the movie with great excitement and intense analysis, I could hold my tongue no longer. Boys, that was in the top five worst movies that I've ever seen. In fact, it might be in the top two worst ever. That movie was Avengers Infinity War. Two hours and 40 minutes for a movie that made very little sense. Fans will say it's a bridging or linking movie. Then why bother at all? The more is more strategy makes for a collection of moments that fail to combine into an epic of any proportion. Sorry for the long rant, never be sorry. But I'm glad I've got that off my chest. P.S. Keep up the good work, lads. Thank you very much, Paul. And never apologise for writing an, a comment as good as that. Fitzy, you were here at this event that Paul speaks of. Do you want to provide any alternate perspectives to this? Well, the thing with Paul is that... um. You know, he just trashes every movie. I mean, we saw The Force Awakens. He took us to The Force Awakens too, and he didn't like that. So, I mean, you just can't please this man. Uh, you know? You're just calling out Paul for hating movies. Yeah. But, um... Wow. Wow. I guess um, he gave a good justification for it, at least. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, it was accompanied by a chorus of, like, 11 well said. So, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, that was well said, yeah. Well said. Well said. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, I disagree with you, Paul. I love Infinity War. Not as good as Endgame, but I love Infinity War as well. But, hey, totally valid argument. I totally get it. I appreciate that that's your opinion, and I appreciate how well thought out it is. Totally justifiable. I just like the MCU, you know? I just like the MCU. The MCU is like a TV show, you know? It's like a TV show. You go and see a new episode three times a year in theaters, and as that, I appreciate it for that, you know? And... Infinity War was like the season finale, you know? Because it is like a TV show, they shouldn't be, you know, rated as movies then because you can't watch one product properly without having seen the remainder of the 23, you know? Because there's little sure. connections that people will argue, oh, you need to understand this and that, and this was referenced in that, and, you know, there's a character here that pops up here, so that's why it's important, you know? So that's why they shouldn't be, you know, rated or discussed as individual films because they're not you know, they're two-hour-long TV show episodes. I think that, yeah, uh, that's pretty much Paul's point. I think it's super valid. 
you know, I get that. I definitely don't know how I'd rate it as an individual movie because I just can't rate it as anything else, you know. It is what it is to me, you know. When we do the MCU films for our, you know, tr- uh, our series review thing, we'll, um, we'll get to it. Dude, we better get on that fast. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck doing them for eight years. <laughs> Already at this point, it's going to take two years. Yeah, you know? Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. It's fine. We can speed up. We'll do one every week. People won't get sick of that. I definitely won't get sick of that. We'll just do them all in one episode. Also, that yes. was one, yeah. It's true. We all just have to quickly list pros and cons for each one and move on. Yeah. It'll still be a three-hour episode. <laughs> Five-minute arguments for each film, and then just, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into Cinema Effect this week. We appreciate your time as always. Fitzy, what are we watching next week? Finny, are you forgetting something? Yeah. What? Are you forgetting that we have to answer the question too? Holy shit, I'm so sorry. And do you think wow. the other comment about Artemis Fowl as well? Because you said you would read out everything, and I, it's oh, a yeah. long comment, so don't read it out all, but, you know, summarize it for us. Hello, person who wrote the Artemis Fowl comment. I appreciate you very much. I think it's great that you put the effort in to write that comment. I appreciate that you dislike Artemis Fowl because, spoiler alert, I don't know if you know this, we also dislike Artemis Fowl. Pretty shit movie. But um, I just want you to know that this is a deep and sincere apology for the fact that I did not in any way prepare for your comment and thus I shall not be reading it and I have no regrets. <laughs> well, the disrespect. That's a broken promise, Vinny. You made one promise to our viewers that you'd read out everything and you're not reading it out. I would like to now, you're absolutely right, I would like to officially, um, I don't know, update my promise, I guess, and say, I'll guarantee you I'll read anything that I feel is worth reading. So you're going to not mention Jelly Beans talking about The Last of Us 2 being the best game? No, definitely not, no. I mean, you've brought it up now, that's pretty yeah. right. that's all he said. So. Don't mind Jelly Beans, I've got you. Thanks, Jelly Beans, whoever you are. Um, quick move on. Uh, my answer is Bad Boys. I turned it on. Only this year, actually. Turned it on. I want to say I watched half an hour of it, maybe. Maybe only 25 minutes. Um, and was absolutely appalled by just how terrible the dialogue was and how infuriatingly boring it was. So, yeah, I turned it off. How about you guys? I haven't seen it. No, I just meant, like, what's your answer to the question? Oh, uh, yeah, I was joking. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> sorry. My answer is uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul, which um, mm. is a remake of Diary of, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Uh, I kind of like the uh, the first three. I think they're okay. Um, so when I saw this atrocity, when I saw the first five minutes of this atrocity, I, uh, you know, had to shut my eyes and... Right. Turn away, because um, I mean, what kind? Of, it's just atrocious. Um, okay. It just looks bad and sounds bad and and it is bad. It's just makes me sad. Makes me sad. So, as someone who hates Diary with a Wimpy Kid and thinks it's absolutely awful in every sense of the word, how do you even get to this one? How do you, how do you hate Diary with a Wimpy Kid? More importantly, mate. I mean, I've never read the, one of the books in my life. Those movies are terrible. I've seen the first what? two. Yeah, they're terrible, but they're good, you know? They're good, terrible. No, they're not. They're good. They're no, good, man. they're not. 
They inf- they infuriate me to my core. Why? To be perfectly honest. They they're quality. I mean, like the cheese touch. Oh my god, you know <laughs> that part <laughs> of where they have to. They're everyone's scared of the cheese touch. It, it bothers me very deeply because I have, you know, significant trauma from primary school and everyone talking about the cheese touch and I think I had the cheese touch at one point, you know, PTSD. Okay. From but Roderick Rolls, I mean, I, I don't even have to make an argument. It's Roderick Rolls, you know. Yeah. Masterpiece of your time. I mean, and the soundtrack with songs from Loaded Diaper, I mean. Mm. Yeah, the first one... <laughs> The first one is about him and him and uh, ship Greg, Greg. Manny? Wait, no, Manny's a kid. What, what's the name of his friend? Rowley. Rowley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then next one's about his brother, and then the next one's about his dad. That's good. They're really good character studies, mate. You, I think you need to check. Yeah, it's like Joker. Yeah, but if he was, a, you know, like twelve-year-old kid. kid. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh. Anyway, you know Luke's argument for disliking Goblet of Fire because he feels like he can smell Ron? He can smell Rowley. I can smell everyone in this movie. <laughs> I just, <laughs> it's just, it actually grosses me out. I feel like everyone is gross, you know? I feel like I have physical reactions to how gross everyone is in the movie. And that sounds like the most insulting thing to these actors, but I'm not going to lie, it's true. Yeah, it's cinema. You, you wouldn't understand it. I mean, if anything, that just proves how good it is. It, you know, it's a high cinema. The fact that exactly. they can convey the message, <laughs> smell them. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. God damn it. Okay, uh, guys, answers. Right, I think I'm left. Um, oh yeah, sorry, Fitzy already answered my vote. Um, I don't agree with uh, stopping to watch movies because I think if you don't watch it all the way through, you can't validly criticize it because you, you never know what might happen how it might flip or what it might do. Um, but that being said, I'm not, I think I watched it like 40 minutes of the other guys and I just can't stand it. I look, I, I'm all about Marky Mark, you know, I love him. He's great. Um, but I hate Will Ferrell so much. He's unfunny and a terrible actor and I can just never get behind him. He has like two decent movies with like Blades of Glory and, um and stepbrothers but even in those he doesn't do well and it's the other cast that carry the film through and i just cannot stand will ferrell at all and then plus like the other guys is such a boring film i mean like i, I did not laugh at one like once like during the 40 minutes i watched and like it's just so horrid and boring and trash and shit yeah it's pretty so, funny though well yeah well it's not me is it? yeah hmm? <laughs> That, you see, that's the other thing. Like, because like the other guy is like what is like somewhat well regarded, isn't it? Yeah, like I kind of like it. Yeah, but I, I just can't understand. Like, like all the Will, Fer- like because like I've seen like Anchorman and Alf, and like you know they're all shit. But like the other guys, I truly could not put myself through. That's funny though. <laughs> you know, you make a good point. That's actually. Your- yeah. It's, it's, it's an 8 out of 10. Yeah, sorry, you're right, Fitzy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Glad I got you. Wow, Reason. You saw Reason. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, ditto what I said earlier. Fitzy, answer the question. What, man? 
What are you watching next week? What are we watching next week? Oh, right. Okay. Um, Sorry, that was abrupt. I thought you meant the uh, other question. Um, no, no. We're doing Wake and Fright, which is an Australian film. Uh, I think it's on Stan. Do you know you know more about this, Jane? Don't you? I mean, not much else. I mean, I mean, like, at the end of the show, you just usually like say what it is, and then that's it, isn't it? I mean, you don't need to know much else, do you? <laughs> Stop it's asking questions, Fitzy. The show's over. Um, yeah, I think right. I, I'm pretty sure it's like 1971. It's uh, it's about this teacher that's uh, that that rocks up in some outback town, and uh, I guess we'll find out more next week. The thing is, right, I think people. Like, this thanks for joining me. Oh god, sorry, no, still going. Sorry. What? What? What did you say? What is it now? No, don't worry. Right. No, forget it. No, don't worry. Just finish it. Just end it. We get it. We get it. Goodbye.